Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. On this planet, 8 billion people wake up every morning, well, at least most of them. And they start doing things, they act, and they do things they have never done before. And they think thoughts, they think, and they think thoughts they have never thought before. And in the evening, most of them fall asleep. And the world is not the same after that particular day. The idea that uh, we can turn back time, that we can change things backwards, that the world remains the same, is simply not true. Often these changes that happen during a day are incremental, they are very small. But at the moment we learn that changes can be disruptive, they can be very fast, they can be painful. Give me the strength to change things I can change. Give me the patience to accept things I cannot change. And give me the wisdom to tell the difference between the two. That was said by a really smart person. Honestly, I don't know who it was, but I really, really like this because uh, it pretty much reflects my view um, that there are things we can change and that there are things we cannot change and have to accept them. This episode of the Humans and Technology podcast will be about, will be about megatrends and technology development. My idea is that future is shapeable. We can shape the future, we can form it, um, we can make it the future we want to have. We are not victims of the future. We are, it's not coming like a wave and then we cannot do anything. And there are many different futures out there. And we as humans, we as human beings are able to make smart changes with our consciousness, with our intelligence and our brains. And we should do this. On the other hand, we of course are not completely independent of others. There are things that we cannot change. Neither we as humanity nor we as individuals. But nevertheless, there are megatrends. Trends that exist, that are ongoing, that are highly relevant and that provide directions. If you Google megatrends, then you will find things like the seven megatrends of technology development or 
the 12 megatrends of social futures or the 29 megatrends of food, whatever. Um, some of them are nonsense, but some of them are really science-based and, and, and are really well, uh, really nicely worked out and, and really, really nicely usable. And um, I have selected for this episode three megatrends from technology development that I think are highly relevant. And uh, a megatrend does not mean that it is something like a future, it's a futuresque thing. But megatrends, um, they exist, they have existed yesterday, they will exist tomorrow, and they exist today. And um, so we are part of it, we are part of shaping it, uh, we are part of making it. And uh, so they're highly relevant. Um, it's not just something that um, is somehow relevant, but megatrends are highly relevant for our future, for what we do, and how we should uh, adapt our our decision-making to that. So the three we have selected um, are on technology development. They have a focus on HMI. And of course, they have a focus on automotive and mobility, uh, the relationship that, that humans have to technology and to uh, HMIs, human-machine interfaces, and to cars. The first megatrend I'd like to talk about uh, is digitization and connectivity. And this is, uh, from my point of view, the most relevant. If we would have to select just one megatrend out of all those existing, digitization and connectivity is the number one, the, the, the top trend. Data is uh, today ubiquitous. We have um, sensors everywhere. We have uh, computing devices everywhere. We have connectivity everywhere. So data is totally ubiquitous. It is where we are. There is data. And the same is true for devices, for end devices. They're also ubiquitous. I mean... More or less every one of us has a smartphone, has a tablet, has a PC computing device, and we carry at least the smartphone with us wherever we go and at any point in time. We wake up in the morning with a smartphone, we carry it around the entire day, and we put it onto our night shelves in the evening. So um, these devices are totally ubiquitous. And with that one... Computing power is everywhere. Computing power is also ubiquitous. Wherever you are, there is a computer. And whatever you touch, there is a high chance that this is a computer. So every kitchen machine is basically a computer that does something. Your TV set is a computer that is optimized for consuming videos and, and media. Your car as a computer on, on wheels. So at the moment, as we speak here in uh, December 2020, about 30% of the value of a car is in software. So if you pay 60,000 euros, dollars or pounds for a car, then 20 of that is going into software. So cars are computers on wheels. Just one example, um, 
in a and in an electric toothbrush there are thousands of lines of code there is a processor maybe there is a very slim very uh, very small operating system on that and basically i'm having two question two questions what does all the software do and who is developing all that so even in an electric toothbrush you have electronics you have computing power and it will not be too long from now that uh, all of these electric toothbrushes will also be connected the internet of things is already there it has long been a reality for every human on the globe from the elderly to babies from top managers to farm workers today four devices for every single person are connected to the internet in five years it will be 10 10 devices around us are connected to the internet and once you have reached the level of the internet protocol all these things can talk to each other they can exchange information they can communicate and um, that is the internet of things things are connected to the internet and then they built an own network cars today are sources processors distributors and consumers of data there are tons of sensors in a car like brake sensors rain sensors speed sensors abs sensors in engine sensors the entire driver monitoring sensors we will we will see in the car very soon and all of them produce data and all this data is collected in the vehicle it is processed in specialized car in car computing devices and then this data is sent to central servers a little footnote one of the big stories inside the automotive industry is who owns this data is it uh, the car maker the oem or is it uh, the company providing the the network the network providers is it the user him or herself so there's a big discussion big but but, but the data has has an enormous amount of value okay end of footnote um the car sends out the data to central servers and then central computing powers servers somewhere on the globe collects the data from a high number of cars from a high number of users processes it and then distributes it back to the car or to any other instance on the globe and so cars are consuming data the data that is sent back from the central servers are consumed by the car and it is used for example for safety so this data makes driving safer for example if i drive on a highway and all the cars in front of me find out all right the temperature drops it's it's wet it's slippery on the road it's icy on the road um, they detect this with their rain sensors with their abs sensors braking sensors they send all this data to the server and then i get a message that says hey on your highway five miles five kilometers ahead um, there, there's an icy piece of the road then this raises my safety this uh, saves lives
This data may also be used to optimize the journey, to select a route that takes me to my, my destination in the fastest way, that goes around all the traffic jams and on all the slow traffic um, that I'm having. Um, or it takes me the, the, the most beautiful route. If I drive from A to B and in between there is a beautiful scenic route, My car may suggest me, all right, um, this is a good one. It was rated well by other users. So, um, yeah, my journey is optimized under that aspect. We can protect the environment. We can reduce the, the power consumption of our vehicles by optimizing the routes, by optimizing the, uh, the vehicle itself, by preparing it to, for example, um, hills or valleys we are driving through. So... Um, we are saving energy and protecting the environment with the data we feed back into a car. Or it may be used for entertaining drivers and, and passengers by giving touristic information, by telling jokes, by adapting to the needs and, and the wishes and the dreams and uh, the preferences of, of a driver and, and uh, the passengers and entertains these persons inside a car. Megatrend 2, the second one I'd like to talk about. That is mobility and urbanization. So humans have always been mobile. Stone Age hunters and collectors, they had to be mobile. Scientists are not really um, sure about this, but maybe between one and three hours per day, these hunters and collectors um, needed to be mobile to collect the amount of calories that they needed to feed themselves, to feed their families, to pass on their genes to, to the next generation. And uh, this is deeply inherent in our genes. From a, from a genetical point of view, we are more or less identical with um, the, the persons, with the humans 10,000 years ago being hunters and collectors in, in the grasslands. And um, so... Mobility is something we have in our genes. We have, uh, we will have in the future. It will not go away. So humans are mobile and will be mobile in the next some hundreds, some thousands years we have ahead of us. One anecdote from, from my life. Uh, my wife um, Has, a, has an office job and um, she's not very mobile during her work life. And I had times in my life when I was extremely mobile, at least one flight per week, uh, client visits by car, traveling by train. I had uh, at least one overseas, one uh, long distance flight per month. So I was extremely mobile in that time. And uh, on weekends, I felt like, hey, Let's just relax. Let's just stay at home. Let's just do nothing. And um, so I wanted to bring my average uh, hours of mobility per day down because during the week I was so mobile. And uh, for her, it was the other way around. And uh, on weekends and, and, and uh, vacations, she was always like, hey, um, let's do something, let's take a ride on the motorbike, let's travel here, let's do this, let's make that. And so she tried to reach the same average number 
of hours of mobility per day by lifting it up during weekends and, and vacation times. The second part of this megatrend is urbanization. During the entire time mankind exists, uh, the majority of people lived in uh, rural areas. And uh, so living in an urban area, living in a, in a city, um, was the exception until a few years ago. But um, three, four, five years ago, we passed the 50-50 threshold, meaning today, on a global basis, half of humankind is living in cities and urbanized areas, the other half is living in rural areas in the countryside. And uh, this is an ongoing trend. For China, we foresee that in the next year, 75%, three quarters of the population will live in urban areas. And urban areas have certain problems. Everything is tight. Everything is, is squeezed into something. We have a high density, a high density of people, of infrastructure. There's little space there's little space to move to be mobile to keep mobility up and uh, we have traffic jams for example so commuting times get longer and longer and even if you use public transport in, in uh, bigger cities um, it takes time and it is uh, it consumes energy and, and focus And uh, so, yeah, it, it, being mobile in urban areas um, isn't a super extra effort. That leads, for example, to aggression. People get aggressive in cities and um, because it's not their national, natural environment that they're in. It's dirty. We have crime. And the big question is, how can we ensure mobility in urbanized areas? And this problem is a growing problem because we have this growing urbanization. In the car industry, we have the case mantra as far as mobility is concerned. And case, C-A-S-E, stands for connected, automated, shared and electric. This is the way Mercedes puts it down. Um, BMW uses uh, the acronym ACES, which is the same letters with the same meaning in a different order. But um, let's stick with case for this one. And I'm sure I will make an episode pretty soon on the case mantra. Um, just very short. Um, cars in the future will be connected. We talked about this one on, on Megatrid 1. They will be automated up to autonomous. So more and more parts of the driving task will be fulfilled by, 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 the, by the machine. And so we have to think about the relationship that we have between the human and the rolling robot that he or she is sitting in. Mobility, particularly in urban areas, will be shared. Um, there is hardly any vision of future mobility that uh, is not anyhow including shared mobility like car sharing, like uh, ride hailing, um, like um, yeah, sharing the, the infrastructure and sharing the vehicles 
between humans to move from A to B. Um, again, I see that there is a counter trend at the moment um, based on the pandemic that we have. So shared mobility may not come as fast as we as we think. And the E in case stands for electric. And uh, whether this is the smartest solution or not, there's quite some discussion going on, but uh, the political pressure is very high to move to electric uh, and battery electric vehicles. Um, I don't know whether this is the best solution that we can have, but um, for any trend that we see, for any trend of mobility, it is clear we will not go on with the traditional combustion, gasoline and, and diesel engines. Megatrend 3 that uh, we have, and now it gets a little more into HMIs, human-machine interfaces, uh, the relationship between humans and machines. So Megatrend 3 is focus on humans. If you have a look at uh, the how, how the relationship between humans and computing power changed over the past, let's say, 50 years, um, There, there is a clear change. So 50 or 60 years ago, and in the 60s and early 70s, computing power was um, somewhere hidden far away in, in uh, dark uh, basements um, where strange people were working. So if you wanted to use computing power as a, let's say, scientist or as an engineer, you had to put down your problem on, on paper walk down into the basement, find the person that operated these huge computing machines. Um, this person um, somehow communicated with the machine and a few days later you received the results of the calculations. So computing power was in basements and was far away. In the um, early 80s, computing power appeared on our desks, on our desktops. It came to our tables. It was called PC, personal computers. And uh, we had these uh, big cathode ray tubes. Uh, we had uh, these, these bulky machines on our tables or under our tables. They were not connected. Um, so you had to use uh, floppy disks uh, if you wanted to transfer data from one machine to the other. But computing power was on our desk. It, it became uh, visible. And uh, during the 90s, uh, we had the laptops, um, still pretty bulky, but uh, we were able to carry them around. So computing power became mobile. It, uh, we were able to carry it around with us. And then um, the smartphone came up. We had this, uh, the cell phones in the, in the mid-late 90s. And then in 2007, Apple introduced the first iPhone that brought enormous amount of computing power and an uh, comparably easy to use HMI, human machine interface with a touchscreen and uh, into our pockets. So computing power is in our pockets today. That's where it is. And um, the next step is um, that is happening at the moment that uh, computing power moves onto our bodies onto our skins for example with uh, smart watches um, that we wear that have sensors in it um, that sense our physiological status and um, that, that we can we can carry around with us and that is on our skin 
There are also um, uh, contact lenses that are used to measure the blood sugar, or it's not the blood sugar, it's the amount of sugar in uh, the, the fluid of our tears. And that correlates with, with the blood sugar, and so diabetics have a good chance to continuously measure their blood sugar without, uh, yeah, without taking out any, any blood. So that is onto our bodies. And the next step then is that computing power will move into our bodies. Uh, we have this already with pacemakers for people with heart diseases. Um, so that is, from my point of view at the moment, the highest level of computing power we have in our bodies. But that will move on with nanobots that we have that will repair things, that will distribute uh, pharmaceuticals in our body that, that will help us to stay healthy and, and, and strong for a long time. And this is when humans and machines really melt. That's uh, the point in time when we become cyborgs, mixtures of computing power, of robots on one side, and uh, human, human, human parts, uh, flesh and, and soul and thoughts and brain on, on the other side. We pay for technology. We pay money for it. Uh, we pay thoughts on it. We focus on it. Uh, we put enormous amounts of resources into technology. And first of all, we pay by spending time with technology. We put time into the interaction with technology. And now think, how much time have you wasted on lousy technology in your life? Things that were you just sat there not being able to use a remote control of a TV, not being able to use the navigation system in a rental car, not uh, sitting there in a, in a class to learn about a new software somebody puts onto your, onto your desk and that, that you need to use while, while working. We need, and this is the mega trend I see very clearly, we need to create value with technology, meaning real value. We need to make the lives of people better with technology. We need to make this planet a better place with technology. We shall reflect wishes, needs, dreams, skills, abilities of humans in technology. There is one trend going on which is called the revenge of the analog. And uh, maybe you're aware of the company Polaroid that makes these fast self-developing photographies. And um, I had the first contact, oh, I was something like 12 years old, so that's uh, 40, 45 years ago. And um, there was this camera and you had this, this film in there and then uh, you took a picture and then you had to wait for five minutes and then you had... An image. You had a photography ready, developed, uh, ready to pass on, to give away, to keep as a memory, whatever. And Polaroid faded away when smartphone cameras came up. And they are experiencing a revival at the moment. 
So last year and the year before, so 2020 and 2019, they had a big booth at the CES at Las Vegas. And um, you, when, when you passed by, they took a Polaroid image of you and, and they gave it to you. So you could carry it home and you had this nice memory in your wallet um, that, that you could carry around saying, hey, that was at the CES. And so it was something physical. That was something analog. You were able to, to, uh, to, to keep, uh, keep with you and to take home with you. Another example, um, for the first time in 2019, more vinyl records were sold in the USA than CDs. So we had this vinyl records um, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, in the 80s, early 80s, the CDs came up and um, then uh, streaming came in within the last years. Um, to, to uh, replace all the physical devices carrying music on this. But, again, the revenge of the analog, vinyl records are selling more and more because people like to have this physical piece where the music is on, put it into a record player and play it. And a third example, um, during the first uh, Corona shutdown in uh, April, May, The sales of Fender guitars went through the roof. Uh, it was a rocket growth in, in their sales because people said, okay, if I'm at home, I want to make some music, I want to make some noise. And they decided to go for a real guitar, meaning a real piece of wood with a couple of wires on it and a real amplifier to make some noise. I mean, there's tons of free or very cheap software on the internet that you can use for exactly the same purpose. But people wanted to have something analog, something real, something to touch, something physical. And this is the revenge of the analog. Um, as Douglas Copeland said, I miss my pre-internet brain. People are missing their pre-internet brains. And so I see that the revenge of the analog is part of the focus on humans megatrend. All right, that's it uh, for it. As a quick summary, um, in this podcast episode, I discussed three megatrends. Um, one is digitization and connectivity. Everything is a computer and everything talks to each other. The internet of things is there and we have this and this influences the experiences we as humans have with technology. We have mobility and urbanization as the second megatrend. Um, people are mobile and they will remain mobile. And uh, we have to realize that more and more humans are living in urban areas, in cities. So we have to ensure that mobility will be possible in that environment. And Megatrend 3, Megatrend 3 is the focus on humans, is the revenge of the analog, that people want to have physical devices and they want to be in the focus of the technology development. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you And do something for yourself that will be forever. For an ongoing exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. 
write me an email an podcast at beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time, take care and stay healthy.